Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another episode of the Gary Hour. I'm your host, Gary Levitt, coming to you from the New York City area. This week, I talked to Australian comic Sam Kisajukian. He's here doing some shows. He's toured in many countries in the world. His show was sold out 23 or 26 times at the Edinburgh Fringe Fest. And we had a really great conversation, and he is a great guy. A lot of psychology, a lot of uh, differences between Australia and the United States. We get into gun control because that is a thing here. This episode is brought to you by Future Moments, makers of mobile apps for content creation. If you're a musician, a podcaster, voiceover artist, someone that just makes videos on their phone, go to the App Store and search for Future Moments because they have an app that'll make your life easier and your production so much better. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and check out the show notes for links to Sam's website and more treats. Enjoy. do an american accent i i just i wouldn't i just wouldn't want to mock 
Such a beautiful people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, an American accent automatically sounds mocking, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. What do you do? You just make yourself dumb and then... Oh, well, I don't know. Just state an opinion on something you don't know about. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dumb. <laughs> okay, so I usually have a first question prepared. And my first question for you is, how do you pronounce your last name? Oh, I like that as a first question. <laughs> Uh, so my last, my surname is Kisajukian, Kisajukian. Mm-hmm. It's phonetic. It's, uh, 11 letters, K-I-S-S-A-J-U-K-I-A-N and it's Armenian. See, phonetic is what I, what I totally would have went with. Great. Well, you did well. How would, how would have you said it? Kisajukian. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're here, you're a comedian, you're here on tour in New York. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say like I'm on tour in New York. That's that's a great way to to put, you know, like I'm trying to hype you through. up. Hey, you can hype me up, but New York <laughs> is a wonderful place to beat you down. And I, I yes. think so. You find out who you really are. I, and I'm just exploring the stand up here. I just finished a tour uh, in Europe. Uh, I did the Edinburgh Fringe, uh, which I've been doing for the last few years. Yep, I saw that because I do do my research. As unprofessional as I may sound, you sold out every single show of yours. I do very well there, which is is strange. I, I do well in Perth, Australia, and uh, Edinburgh fringe for some reason they like me there yeah you did your what was it is it a one-man show yeah alcohol is was alcohol is good for you yep that's it so it's called alcohol is good for you it's just like uh it's it's, it's pretty much like stand a stand-up show in the format of an overarching story mm-hmm. uh, but it is a lot of just stand-up pieces and it's it's loosely around based around like alcohol and alcoholism and drinking stories and things like that and I did used to do the show at some point in Australia for the first rendition where every time the audience didn't laugh, I would drink a shot of vodka Oof. and that was the game for the whole show. And uh, it went very well, except when it didn't. And then it just was the worst thing ever. But I never did a bad show that I can remember. So Well, there you go. If it's a bad show, you're so drunk you don't remember. Exactly. So it's fine. That's good. You've got a little uh, cushion for yourself. But then I became, it just it was too much alcohol. I mean, I always say I was an alcoholic, but it was so close. Well, you're just, challenging the audience not to laugh because they want to see you wasted. It's one thing you learn doing stand-up comedy is that the audience wants to see you hang. I know, but if you try and get people not to laugh, they laugh. Unfortunately, I found that works well. Oh, reverse psychology. Yeah, yeah. You've just put that tension like, oh, you're not going to laugh. I have to drink. And then they, they laugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even if you probably just stand there poised in, in suspension for a second, they'll just break and start laughing. Pretty much. The recognition of a joke failing and going to reach for the glass slowly would always get a laugh. And then you don't have to drink it. You just put it down. And then, Yeah, they would have to put it back down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or if sometimes I'd get too drunk like it was kind of like this weird balance where if I could get through the first 30 minutes well I could ride out the end of the show not having you know maybe having like no more than six shots by then if it started to go wrong early I'd get too drunk and start forgetting my jokes and then when I'd fail I wouldn't like be able to hold the tension to get the laugh so I would just end up drinking and then by the end it was just this sad man just like slurring and unable to one time I I took my pants off and threw my pants in the audience and like accidentally thumbed my underwear and like took like oh my dick out and i didn't like it's not what i wanted to do and yeah. then i ran and then crashed into a light and that smashed and i looked up and the bar manager was standing at me just shaking his head was this like within the first 20 minutes no this was, <laughs> this was before the show this was actually while my warm act warm up act was on stage <laughs> that was that a joke or is that true no that was that was okay uh, that was a joke good 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 is that that's kind of the theme right so you just you challenge the audience that you're going to drink 
that you thought of this theme as like it's like an undercoating theme while you're doing the show. Yeah, I mean, because we do the comedy. I do a lot of the comedy festivals and fringe festivals. This is like so many different shows, and I just thought like, what would be a fun show to go to, but also, you see, I could have called it a gimmick, but I didn't. You could call it. You could call it a gimmick. No, it it definitely is gimmicky, but it's like a game for an audience because yeah. Then if it's good, it's great. But then if it's bad, well, then you still get something out of it because. You're getting to watch a guy that you don't like get so shit-faced that he tries to crowd surf his way out of a room. Yeah, and it adds a very live element to it. Yeah, it does. But I mean, eventually I did come to the point where I thought, I can't keep doing this. And also it's like, you know, I really respect the craft and I, and I love doing stand-up. So I, I, I pulled out that element. You did? Yeah, and the show, it was a lot harder to make work, but then... Over time, I, I did manage to pull it up again. You also could never do two shows in a night <laughs> with that. Unfortunately, yeah, you can't. Someone's like, hey, would you like to do a spot after your show? And you're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want me to do that. And you won't be uh, meeting fans after the show. Oh, yeah. I don't even remember. I'm sure I had fans, but I forgot who they were. Mm -hmm. So why were you doing that to yourself? <laughs> well, I thought it was a fun idea, and then... So many people came out to see the shows that it just, I mean, the money was good. And uh, uh, I re I enjoyed doing the shows and the shows were actually going way better than I thought. And I started getting very confident. Um, but then the problem was, is that I don't know, because I, I was getting so drunk sometimes, I didn't. I didn't learn from shows. like Right. You know, because you, it's, it's, you have to be so in the moment and you f tend to forget anyway. But then if you're a bit drunk or very drunk, and you don't learn from show to show. So then when I had to do the, the material in clubs, I was like, what did I learn from the show per se? So it just was this weird psychological experiment that ended up making enough money for me to get by, and now I've dropped it. Hey, you got paid to drink. That's like a lot of people's dreams. <laughs> That's a lot of people's dreams. In public and have people cheer. <laughs> yeah, on stage. <laughs> on stage. <laughs> yeah, but it is, uh, you know, it is dangerous. Have you done improv before? No, no, I've no, had no training. Okay, because I've done improv, and that's one thing I've noticed is a big difference with the audiences. An, an improv audience is on your side. They, they want you to succeed, and they're like open arms to an improv audience, where a stand-up comedian comes out, and it's almost like the audience, at least here in the States, will kind of fold their arms like, oh, you think you could make me laugh? Let's see you try. Yeah. And uh, it's such a different thing. But then... And I think that's one of the tricks of stand-up is to make the audience think that you are improvising all this material. You make it seem like, oh, I'm just sure. having these thoughts. I'm throwing these thoughts off the top of my head. And then the audience gets on your side. And you probably know this. You prob this has probably happened to you. Sometimes the biggest laugh of your set is something that you did improvise in the moment. Yeah, totally. Yeah, when, you, when, they, when they feel like you've discovered it, like genuinely in that moment. And, it also, and they can see that it surprises you. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you're enjoying it almost as well. I find that infuriating because I work very hard on my bits. You know, they're very crafted and you know, uh, yeah. refined. So if I'm doing a set and then the biggest laugh of the set is something that I just threw out in the moment. Right. I kind of hate the audience for that. Really? <laughs> yes, I don't. I don't. It's obviously not good. I don't want to feel that. So you, you want them to, to enjoy I should hate the, myself. The, the work that you've put in. And this, like, follow, following the thought path that you've created. Yeah, the writing of it. Ah, see, I'm the I'm the opposite. Mm -hmm. I don't. I 
it, that's why I also enjoy being in New York because it's a very different. I feel like there's such brilliant writers here. I feel like this is a writing mm. person's comedian scene, the comic scene in New York. Yeah, yeah, I think so. They, there's a great respect for the writing, but for, for me, I've, I've always enjoyed uh, laughing at the person on stage and their vulnerability and their openness to like just play with the audience. I, I prefer to not think of. I don't even know if I'm a stand-up comedian per se. I think I just do that, but. I want to be something slightly different. I'm not sure, but it's more of like a facilitator of fun. Like I like the idea of just being in a room and like everybody's laughing together. Like we're all in on the joke. Mm-hmm. I don't think of myself as this, like this being that's like providing these insights, but it's more just like spouting things that are coming out and then reflecting off the audience and then kind of working halfway between stand up comedy and like monologue improv. You could probably just do a lot of crowd work. Uh, yeah, sometimes. When you just talk to the audience and uh, see what comes up, make jokes in the moment. And then, of course, you have jokes that are written and prepared because you, if you ask the same question all the time, you get similar answers. I guess I don't really do so much uh, crowd work like that per se. Uh, it's, it's, and definitely not rehearsed crowd work where I have the same kind of answers. I tend not to ask, ask questions as just point out observations which then trigger uh, thought paths. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it's just like very upbeat and neurotic, just yeah. panicking about being a comedian and things going well and enjoying that it's not going well and then it's starting to go well and then talking about that. Do you know what I mean? Like just overanalyzing things but in a very kind of improvised way right i am curious about the differences between australia and the u.s not only in a comedic sense or a performing artist sense but in a cultural sense yeah as well i mean there's a very famous uh bit here by an australian comic jim jeffries yeah the bit about gun control oh i know well fantastic yeah it's got over eight million views on youtube and there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with saying, I, I like something, don't take it away from me. But don't give me this other bullshit. The main one is, I need it for protection. I need to protect me, I need to protect my family. Really? Is that why they're called assault rifles? Is it? Never heard of these fucking protection rifles you speak of? There's more and more shootings every year, mass shootings to the point where we've become kind of uh, numb to it. Yeah. And uh, Jim Jeffries' bit kind of brings out how in Australia, was it was in 1996, there was a big mass shooting, and then, what, did they illegalize all guns? Is that what happened? Or did they just make stricter gun control? Uh, they re- restricted, I think it was down, semi-automatics and automatics were banned. Uh, and there's not a complete, and then, yeah, all, I think all pistols. Uh, it's just rifles you needed a license for, but uh, you need a rifle. You need a license for a rifle. How about a handgun? Uh, I don't think you could own handguns anymore. No. Mm-hmm. And that sh- saw showed a sharp decrease in guns. Yes. In Australia. Yeah, uh, and gun-related violence. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't really. Un- there's just two very opposing sides here. Some people, we just had a mass shooting that you were probably here for the other day in the synagogue. And, uh, you know, our president's response was, this wouldn't have happened if the synagogue had an armed guard. So the people in favor of more guns and against gun control always say, the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. So they want more guns. 
Yeah. Where you've seen in your country, you went the polar opposite way. Yeah. And so far, it's worked. It's been since 1996. So doing the math, blah, 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 22 years. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it's worked on a very small scale. I mean, I I agree, one, with Jim Jeffries' logic. I, I think it's excellent. And uh, you know, we, I, I never, I've never, ever felt any form of gun uh, threat in Australia, mm-hmm. like per se, in my, my whole time there. Uh, but then I guess maybe why it's not uh, used as a case study per se is because it's such a small country. I mean, the population is the size of Texas. So you can arguably say, okay, well, it's just one tiny example. It wouldn't work on such a large scale. I don't know. why. What, what are your thoughts? Um, I really don't think adding more guns to the mix is a good idea. I mean, yeah, I, I think so, of course. Yeah, I don't see how that a, makes a warm welcoming environment when people see guns i think their natural human instinct is to kind of freeze up and tighten up and watch their backs i don't think people feel more comfortable when there's more guns around it makes perfect sense yeah yeah but is there something different because this is something that i think a lot of foreigners don't understand about the states is that this kind of violence and this kind of Uh, perspective is just deeply embedded in our personalities and our culture you know where americans were cowboys right you know the american archetype is has a gun he's a gunslinger he's got a lot of heart not a lot of intellect per se but a lot of heart and he's ready to shoot from the hip and i'll have a beer with you and uh he'll draw his gun right um but Australia, I've never been, so I'm not really sure. Can you, like, how is the culture there different? Is it welcoming? Is there that tough guy mentality there? I mean, I even think, you know, generalizing America, because New York is so different to, say, even in Austin, Texas, which are both, you know, the, the, or LA. Like, yeah. Everyone's different. So even just generalize America, it's like such a big population. And then to go to, say, the Australian mentality, like, uh, I would say some of the differences that I've noticed uh, in Australia, and this is more of like a, um, we we tend uh, not to talk uh, about problems as much. I feel like we're mm-hmm. uh, less interested in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is such a generalization, but of course, just amongst, uh, it, yeah. amongst you know the people that I've been around with in the last you know, thirty years. Uh, and and, the diff- and I have lived in New York before and I have been to America a few times. So I, I do see these differences. A lot less interested in, in politics. Um, psychological problems uh, and mental illness is not, is only recently being discussed in the public sphere uh, and amongst like friend circles. Not you, everyone has a therapist. It's like you would be bullied to have a therapist. Really? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, I, I've been to therapy five times since I've been in New York. And at first I was like, I can't. People sometimes say to me, "Oh, and you come to New York, you've got to get a therapist." And I was like, "Oh, that's so lame." And then after a few weeks of being here, I was like, "Oh, sign me up!" <laughs> and it's been fantastic. Like, are, are you going to get beaten up when you go back to Australia because you just said that publicly? No, I'm going to convert people <laughs> like a religion. I know. Who doesn't benefit from talking about their problems? Yeah, that's what I've started to realize. I don't know why. Was, there's this mentality. I, I don't know if it's an Australian mentality, but. It's a very strong mentality of just like, I'll just do it myself. Mm-hmm. But then you don't kind of reach out for other people's help. So you kind of, you're kind of all building your own little island. Uh, there, there is a very strong mentality in Australia of uh, 
the like in 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 a in a male sphere of you know not necessarily just being good with tools but just being like a handyman just like kind of like a jack of all trades mm-hmm. uh, and also a bit of an adventurer i think because we're far away when we tend to travel we travel for a lot longer because just the flight is so long and expensive to go anywhere that we right. might as well stay for a while. And that leans more to going on like multi-trip adventures or relocating in another city. Right. So, and then and then when these people come back, it kind of influences the culture around us. So I, I find like a lot of Australians have traveled uh, widely, uh, have interesting worldviews. Uh, and that's always good to travel. Where, to- yeah, I think cross-pollination is the, the heart of like, you know, progression and diversity yeah absolutely the people that don't travel much you stay with your mind stays kind of narrow yeah i think as i've gotten older and it's something that i've had to rid myself of is like i always feel like i know what is best and then i just do it doggedly that doggedly that way but then as i've gotten older i've hit these sticking points and the answer i've always found is surrendering to the possibility that i don't know and that i need external help Mm -hmm. even if it makes me feel uncomfortable or completely challenges my current views Mm -hmm. and just being able to sit in that uncomfortable place while this uh progress to letting other people's influences and ideas come through even if some of them i don't totally agree with because i feel like if you throw your wall up too quickly then you miss out on a lot of the good, like sure you can repel things that aren't useful to you, right. but you just as a practice become too closed. And, and, and that's, I guess in a way, even the idea of like guns is like, it's throwing up a wall. It's like, it's a defensive, even it calling it, it's for defensive, like saying, Oh, I'm trying to defend my home. Right. It's still a defensive thing. Like you're, you're still responding to a threat. Right. So you're, you're putting up a wall. It's not just being like, okay, well, what if we just say I won't protect myself from the threat? What if I, this is this is going to sound so bad. Podcast. <laughs> I'll just it's let a them bad murder my analogy. family. <laughs> uh, Do you find that in Australia? I mean, uh, there is less introspection. There must be therapists there in Australia, right? There must be. There must be. I'm sure there's one. Oh, is it? <laughs> there's one. This has like two clients. <laughs> is there? Uh, kind of this feeling of that it's a form of weakness to go? Um, I think that it would, would be. Uh, absolutely. You know, I mean, even my mentality would have just been like, I've, people have, therapy has come up a few times in the past and I, and I thought, oh yeah, that, that could be a good idea. But then I just think, oh, I can handle my own problems. I'll just think through them, mm-hmm. you know? I think people benefit even from a bad therapist just talking out loud. Having an external party listening to your yeah to your issues. Yeah, just just the the act of having uh, another viewer and having to explain to them yeah in a safe environment is is huge. I mean, they, you could almost just do it to a like a mannequin. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is one of the exercises in psychology. Is they say you ever have your shrink ever told you to talk to the chair? Like put your mom or your dad in the chair and just talk to them like they're there. No, but I uh, I'm gonna do that. It's horrifying, wow. and it's it's kind of surprising at how difficult it is. Yeah, right. Yeah, but you know what it is? It makes you feel very vulnerable. For sure, absolutely. I've actually found that 
more than ever before, I mean, comedy in a way is therapy because, you know, you are getting to say how you feel to these people in front of you. And and I've really enjoyed being, it's so cliche to be a newcomer in New York and then talk on stage about how hard is New York Mm -hmm. to live in. I mean, I'm sure everyone does it, but it's also very cliche how much every New Yorker just laps up hearing another person destroyed by New York. They love it. (laughs) This eternal thirst. But I love, I've really enjoyed like projecting my 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 struggle here and and the things that I've that have pained me to people from New York in the audience and then not only having them laugh with recognition which kind of then validates that like what I'm experiencing is very real but I'm also moving through this pr- process and right. even though I've gotten through some of those struggles and uh, I feel like I've healed uh it's it was so nice to talk to just the general public about like that was very therapeutic for me yeah did you talk to them about how you're seeing a therapist here for the first time? Yeah. What did I say the <laughs> other night? I said, I, I said, uh, I went, I've never been, I went to a therapist that I, I think I said I cried and I've never felt so happy and sad at the same time. I've, never had, but I, I've just been having so many contradictory emotions that I've been holding at the same time. And then people were just like, yeah, yeah, this place, I was saying it was like the big apple, they should call it the big onion because you like peel back all the layers uh-huh. and then you end up with pieces everywhere and realize you've been crying the whole time. It is an odd dichotomy and kind of, I think it's still kind of new because New York did always have a reputation as like, you know, being super tough. Yeah, and the people are pretty tough, I would say, compared to other places I've been. But uh, therapy is definitely more and more accepted. Yeah, very much. I I think also it's this. I don't know what it's like in other American cities, mm-hmm. but I, this city in itself is so fascinating. I think it lends itself to requiring therapy because the the people that are attracted to this city from other cities. So, say comedy is a good example, but but any industry. They think they're the best. There's a lot of the, I am the best, so I'm going to go to New York to try and make it. People come in with dreams within their chosen sphere. And so that creates an intensely competitive environment in a compact city. Uh, And the amount of opportunity is slim, but the ceiling is very high. But there's a lot of the the bottom base struggling to outclimb each other. When they look around, and you see it in comedy, you know, you're just surrounded by a lot of brilliant comedians, a lot of terrible comedians, but a lot of brilliant comedians yep. that don't have access to a lot of audience and really have to be, con- you, you're like, okay, I need to dig deep, write more, perform more, to Work not just hard, not just to outdo everyone, but also you're like, I have to be more original than I've ever been before because this city and the audiences uh, have seen it all before. So yeah. everything that you thought made you relevant you feel so irre- irrelevant here and it's a beautiful thing because you, you, you dig deep. But when you dig deep like that and you're struggling for money because the rent's expensive and also everyone's in a state of fear and scarcity in their own industry. So just being in public, like there's this, this intensity of energy that can be very negative on certain days if you're exposed to certain types of people. So you, you, are, you are constantly fighting that and, you know, there's constant noise. But and don't business. you feel like that that desperation can aid the art? Okay, I, I'm fully on board that it aids the art. But where I'm tying it back to with the therapy thing is that I think that you have to become the strongest you've ever been to thrive here. Yeah. But you will 
on your downtimes, you start to dip into mental illness more readily. And I think everyone, mental illness, it's it's a lot easier to be mentally ill in New York than it is to be in a redwood forest in California where you have very little stresses and you're just having this beautiful existence. Right, and you have nature there to nurture you. (laughs) Yeah, so I think everyone here uh, experiences, you know, forms of uh, anxiety, stress, and depression. And then, obviously, there's a, you can make a lot of money, and so people are going to therapy. And then that culture develops here, and you know people are in such close proximity that they're always talking. So therapy gets brought up a lot, and then I think it's just spread uh, as a as a cultural thing here. I mean, does that does that make sense? Um, that's my outsider. Make, ex- yeah, it makes total sense, and it's refreshing to hear it as an from an outsider perspective. Because it makes total sense, but me being in the mix of it for you know eight years now, sure, I just accept it as the norm. Sure, I mean to, even to bring it back to gun control and mass shootings, we've become it's just like oh another mass shooting and no one does anything and no one talks about it and it's barely on the news, and it just becomes a norm. But as an outside perspective, you're like people are sh- kids and all kinds of people are getting shot with. AR-15s and, you know, automatic rifles, like, you guys aren't doing anything about it, and we're just numb. Yeah. And that numbness is really kind of a mental illness on a grand scale. Right. I mean, it's, it is that refreshing to get an outsider perspective, much as it's refreshing to go to the outside and get a different perspective. You know, which brings us back to traveling. It's very good to leave your space where you're comfortable with the norm and then just see it from a different perspective you know it's like you get the bird's eye view of things you're like oh that is kind of weird there's eight and a half million people in new york city all trying to make it in a small little island it's it does lead it does lend itself to mental illness yeah i mean some of these people you have to there's a level of delusion that you need to have you know when does hope become delusion (laughs) right well there's that uh theory that that delusion helps you it's like uh yeah it's built in where you think you're have more potential or you're better than you are but that actually can help you help lead you to success that is that is very true very very true and it's weird because i you've probably experienced this too but a lot of comedians and myself included go through waves where I'll have one week where I feel like I'm really good at what I do. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've transcended where I was a couple of weeks ago. And then the week after that, I'll be like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, that's like there's something I, I, I had a realization with uh, recently was uh, I, I spend a lot of my, I can't imagine, like I was trying to think, what's holding me back a lot and it is i spend a lot of time worrying about being a comedian just you know financially you know are you progressing are you writing interesting things are you doing enough am i funny like you just in constant doubt and i i've wasted i feel like i waste so much time and energy and energy being occupied by these thoughts where if i just did th- more things and took away that Instead of putting all my energy into thinking about this thing, not all my energy, but a lot of it, uh, and then just did it, like the progress would be probably exponential by now. And it just is. But you can do that. You can go to a small town and be a big fish in a smaller pond. Right. But the problem with that is that you won't be challenged anymore. Yeah. 
Well, exactly. Then I mean, I don't know. But it depends what because I, I have anxiety about the craft. Like I love being funny on stage. So if I feel if I feel like I'm not doing enough to progress that, then I I don't care if I'm in a small town. I, like I just wouldn't interest me to be. I would. I love. I love the challenge. I, I I I enjoy doing difficult shows in weird places, and it's just my favorite thing to do. It's just to constantly have everything stripped away from you that makes you funny, and then having to start again. You know? Yeah, well, that happens anytime you're in front of a strange audience well, in, yeah. in a strange place. Yeah, but I guess the the point I was trying to make before was uh, this this job lends itself to anxiety because you you have no security un- until you know maybe you get like a TV writing job or something that gives you like a couple of months, but constantly having to book shows uh, mm. and like looking to where you can progress and doing like so much free work, uh, it's just it's. And then you look in your future and you think, okay, I'm going to do years of this. And then, you know, someone's trying to have a relationship with you uh, and your friends and you have to move around. You just it, you, you just feel that constant stress. It's just the nature of the job to push, I think, towards mental illness again. Yeah. Are you, do you feel that more and more? Because you've been touring a lot. Uh, is, it, uh, is the touring also a big stress? It is. And I think you lose yourself in the touring uh, it starts out well, and then you can build up habits just by necessity, and uh, you run out of mental energy. I was doing a lot. Of, I do I, when I tour. I do a lot of shows. I usually do two show, two one hour shows uh, a night when I tour. I try. Mm-hmm. I try to do like this just to try and make the most out of the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, by the end, I need a. It takes me a few months to fully recalibrate after like a five, six month tour. Is your goal to get to the point where you can afford to bring a therapist on tour with you? I think, yeah, that is, I'd never thought of that. If we could do some kind of like live therapy session where I could just like perform to an audience, but then also have my therapist in the wings and I could just tell them how I'm feeling about the show so that no show really rocks me too hard. You know what you could do is get a therapist that's also a great cook. So you have a chef, therapist, and Make sure they do massage as well. Oh man, this is this is possibly too good. Now you, I feel like you're joking about this, but the, you know there really could be an avenue for that. Some kind of like person that helps on the road with like yeah yeah like a tour manager, but mm-hmm. has like basic training in like therapy, massage. Yeah, they, you, they would have to be paid for all these different things, of course, but which we wouldn't have the money for. So right, yeah, that's a problem. and then you would try to make them your love partner, of course, and they would have just to, do to that. save some money. I mean. Maybe if you trained in mas- massage and then you could massage the therapist to which they give you advice, so it's like a trade system. While you're getting therapy. And doing comedy. Yeah. At the same time. And maybe uh, they could be chopping prep. Oh, because they have the to food. cook as well. Yeah. You probably need a third person. Like you massage the therapist. No, the, th- the cook cooks for the therapist who speaks to you. You massage the cook. Yes. They have the triangle. These are, these are goals. Yeah, this is this is a show. Mm-hmm. I, I can trying to manage this in front of an audience. I think would be a good show. Yeah, especially if you have to drink every time they don't laugh. I every mean, time they or he chops an onion badly. <laughs> um, there's a thing here in New York stand up where there's like a, a rivalry with Los Angeles comics. Ah, yes. Have you? Been, I've, have I've you witnessed he- this. I've not witnessed it. I mean, I've 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 heard of it. So so for people that don't know, New York comedians, stand up comedians think lower this is generally speaking of course you know when i speak generally i'm i know i'm speaking generally yeah because there's exceptions to every generalization for sure um but generally they think of los angeles comedians as a bit more hack 
where they they don't write as well and they're just on stage to show face and to hopefully get cast in a sitcom or something like that sure um how is it in australia i mean what this is i'm asking you a generalization of course maybe is it different city by city in the stand-up world uh well i think melbourne has the most industry Mm -hmm. so it has the most uh ready progression into tv is the stand-up there more a higher quality uh i mean i would argue not higher quality i'd say a very similar level to sydney and the reason i would say that is uh sydney has melbourne has more actual headliners that draw Mm -hmm. i think sydney has uh a great middle base of just very talented punchline heavy comedians good writers and uh, great performers as well because we don't have as much industry in Sydney so people just kind of do stand up for the love of doing stand up mm-hmm. uh, much like I think there's a lot of great comedians that come out of like Toronto because it's not you know in like cities like Chicago and yeah. Boston which don't have industry so you just have to do stand up for the love uh, yeah and, they say that here it's best to start somewhere else and get really good then yeah. come to New York yeah I, am. I have heard this but yeah Mel- Melbourne and Sydney uh, is the, the two hubs of comedy Perth uh, is another great hub, but it has a lot of, it has good local comedians and a great scene, but there's a lot of the rest of the comedians around Australia tour through Perth. So it's a very vibrant scene because Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's very Australian uh, centric, not just Perth centric. And then there's Brisbane, uh, which I haven't been to too much, but it's, it's a, it's a, it is a great comedy scene, but it's a little bit more fickle and isolated and a little bit more difficult to tour, uh, but a lot of great comedians do come out of, uh, Brisbane, and then Adelaide has the Adelaide Fringe. Does does Melbourne have this uh, snooty perspective, snooty outlook towards the other cities where they're the best? You know, I I think that there has been uh, comparisons of like Melbourne comedy is uh, superior, but you know, I think everyone must think that about their city if it's like up there. They have the Melbourne Comedy Festival, which right. is you know I'm sure you've yeah. heard of is, is a big international f- festival, and so that's fantastic. And that draws a lot of media attention as well, which I guess helps the clubs throughout the year. Um, so in that regard, totally. I mean, but then from my perspective, it's like as long as I get to, as a comedian, I don't care where I am as long as I feel like, one, I'm getting challenged, two, I get to do a lot of gigs, and three, I'm making enough money to live. See, two out of three New York can offer you that. Yeah, yeah, the money is. <laughs> There's a lot of gigs here, and uh, you'll definitely be challenged. The yeah. money's hard to come by, but once you're there, I mean, there's a very high ceiling. Yeah, and for for me, that's the two most important things. Like, I, I love the craft so much. It's just I, I've never been bored doing stand up, and I have no time. I just I'm unable to do things if I find them boring. And right. with a lot of things in my life, I've just gotten to a point where I, I kind of get a bit bored with them and and lose my investment. Uh, but stand up, I've never had a day where I haven't wanted to. And isn't the audience somewhat responsible for that? Because I'm sure you've had this experience where you feel like the audience is too easy of a laugh. Yeah, I don't like that. Right? No, I'm not a fan of this. Yeah, I don't like when they laugh too easily. And I'm like, ah, that didn't deserve that much of a laugh. Or they're too difficult to make laugh. Or they just have a bad sense of humor. Yeah, too difficult can be can be very frustrating. Yeah. You, do, you definitely want them to kind of want to be there in some regard. 
Um, but I mean, there's just challenges with anything. Why are they not laughing? That's an interesting puzzle to solve. I think a happy medium. That's why I like performing overseas because it, it I can overseas in Australia or uh, Asia. Sorry, sorry. I, when I'm from Australia, in that like America and Europe. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it takes it strips away a lot of. Why do they call it overseas? It's over oceans, right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so you prefer performing in New York? I think like right now I, I, I do because it's a very high caliber scene. Yeah. So I, I enjoy the audiences uh, have seen a lot, even though there is a lot of tourists here and I'm used to performing to tourists mm-hmm. uh, at festivals a lot. So that's kind of what I'm very comfortable doing. Yeah. And in New York, there's also different kinds of tourists. There's the Times Square tourists and then there's the uh, West Village tourists. Right. And West Village tourists tend to be a little more into comedy. Yeah. And with it, like they know the comedy world where Times Square tourists are just kind of wandering around. They're not sure what to do. Well, I haven't haven't done any uh, shows in Times Square yet. So Mm -hmm. I look forward to seeing this group, this demographic. Yeah. If you can, uh, I don't want to call it the club, but if you can go to LOL Comedy Club and get get a show there. Yeah. I'll get the, the... They're just people wandering off the street. Are they just? Yeah, they're they're basically just kind of what they call barked in. Ah, yeah, yeah. They're they're lied to. There's people out in Times Square with signs saying, "Tina Fey, Chris Rock." Yeah. And like Tina Fey doesn't even do stand-up comedy, but people believe it and they go in anyway. And then they have someone dressed up as Tina Fey inside. (laughs) Yeah, that's what they should do. (laughs) That would be great. Maybe I'll maybe I'll do that. I'll do a Tina Fey impersonation. I'll come in my wig. Mm-hmm. See if I book me. Yeah, there's one thing uh, I noticed. You do a lot of act outs. Do I? Yeah. You're, well, you're very animated. I think I'm very animated. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, in New York, it's a more stoic. It is. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Uh, it it is a lot more stoic. But then also, I feel like I've been doing well at shows Mm -hmm. and in a way that is not similar to what other people are doing here because at first i was like oh crap i have to like one my jokes did not work as well here as they did elsewhere so i just threw away all my material and just rewrote everything from scratch uh which i've done in the last few weeks and that you haven't done any of your material that you knew worked uh i did initially and then i threw it all away just booked or did a lot of open mics on top of already doing shows and then just i I felt there was a big gap i was just doing my my material and and i felt the audience was like wait who is this person like why is he talking about this so Mm -hmm. i I needed to bridge that gap so i've started a lot of my sets say the first five minutes right with this you know like this is who i am this is what i'm struggling with right now acknowledging the fact that you're obviously a foreigner yeah like i just i'm empathizing like okay these people need to realize like what the hell is this person doing here i didn't i didn't i didn't take that into consideration and once i did that i've had a lot more freedom to move uh back into older material but i think also that now i've provided that initial context it's just like reinvigorated a lot of the the material that i'd already kind of finished mm-hmm. uh, adding a new kind of flavor to it so that's been very exciting but i i feel i'm a very different performer to a lot of the because uh, i come from also like a festival circuit where i'm doing like one hour on stage right. every night where it's like you're much more comfortable you're loose i think i'm like loose and comfortable and i'm confident about not being funny and i don't i feel like i'm funny so it doesn't i'm not panicked but 
I understand the importance of getting a lot of laughs. Well, it's, just, it's a different art form when you have to when you only have like eight minutes on stage, like is common in a lot of bar shows here. You get eight, yeah. maybe ten minutes on stage. That's very different than doing half hour, forty five minutes. Sure, yeah, but I also think that the mentality that you get into after being on stage for a while is is one of like feeling like not just comfortable, but you know they like you as a as a human being, as a person up there. And they, they want you to succeed. And and I feel like part of it is is like trying to like I feel like it's really important to like not just win an audience over with your material. It's like can you win them over without your material? As a person. As a person. Right. Which is hard do to do it, if you're only doing eight minutes. Sure, but it can be done. Oh yeah. Like and it can be done. And it's like it's just a way subtler thing to try and like go for. So I feel like it's like I try and combine both those things where I really try and I want to win them. Like for me, I I much prefer getting a laugh of something that is nonsensical, you know, whether it's like a hand gesture or facial expression mm-hmm. or just a noise that just expresses an emotion. Some more absurdity. Yeah, but not even just absurd. Maybe it's absurd, but it's just like, I feel like that's not absurd because it's like, it's almost more human nature. It's more, you're just, you're watching someone just trying to express themselves, but like not know how, but still trying. It's yeah. like kind of embracing the idiocy and not trying to appear this like well put together, thought out person. I, I prefer to have like the messy edges of, uh, life apparent in the com in in comedy, and it's like it's not all good, and it's kind of falling apart. But like in a fun, like I want you guys to feel joy from this, not feel bad for me. Kind well, of I way. bet the audiences are responding to that. They sense that you're in the moment. They sense that anything can happen. They sense that it's live. Where if you came here with all your material that you knew already worked yeah. in Australia, they would sense that totally. But then also, it's like the joke writing here is so strong. So it's made me have to try and bring that up to scratch, which I'm really looking forward to, but it's like, I have to play to my strength right. as well. Cause my, yeah, my jokes just aren't really good enough here. Well, it's a good strength to know your strengths too. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> um, has being in there. So you've been here for five weeks, you said? Uh, four weeks now. Yeah. Four weeks. And you started seeing a therapist here. Who, who, why did you do that? Uh, well, I have uh, friends that, Friends told you they sh- you should. That's they, they, not a good sign. I know, I know. But they, I think they went to they went to therapy, and I kind of trusted them. Uh, and then uh, I, one of the therapists. Uh, if you have a friend telling you you need to go to therapy, then you probably like really need to go. Yeah, I guess so. I, but I think it's actually kind of felt like maybe I did need to go. Um, did something happen that uh, recently that made you a come to New York now, or like was there some sort of traumatic big change in your life that led you to this? Um, when I finished my tour from January till May this year, I think I just, I turned, I was 31 and I just, I just decided, I was like, I can't, not only can I keep living like this, but I just have built up a lot of negative patterns that I was like, while I was progressing in a lot of ways in my life, I also had a lot of like negative habits that I just didn't seem to be able to shake. So I felt like I was constantly battling with myself. Like life just didn't feel effortless and easy mm-hmm. uh and i was kind of just sick of feeling this way so i i've decided to change the way that i approach solving problems and you know just things around like procrastination self-defeating habits self-limiting beliefs would you share one or two of those bad habits in case i have them and I don't, i'm not recognizing them um what's some bad habits or i bad think just patterns. like yeah like you know, just being scared to do things. Like, while I, I do feel like I'm courageous and 
go down strange paths that a lot of people would not go f- for some reason. And I, I, I like stand up f- comedy. I mean, stand up companies <laughs> is just, yeah, that's an example. Or just even just going overseas, you know, to perform in random countries where you might not make money. And it's just like, or even just, yeah, like to choose this as your occupation is just insane. Um, the negative beliefs comes around just like this, you know, like there is a, there's a point where you have like a certain amount of fear to like, I even think it affects comedy. It's like of what you'll talk about or what you express or like really seeing yourself for who you are and having the courage to like project that in, out into the world and without shame, mm-hmm. uh, even in a day-to-day life, you know, the way that you interact with people. But then also, you know, trust has been a big thing. Uh, I, I have, I think I have trouble like trusting yourself or other people a lot of other people and then when i do i put a lot of trust in them and i've just been burnt like a few times like very badly even this year uh in in business unfortunately uh and it it just causes me to like wall up which just kind of re-solidifies this idea that like oh i've got to do everything myself right but I've just need I needed to find like a way to like build this open open communication platform where I could because uh, when I become closed, I think I start to like limit the amount I can feel joy in a kind of like a public sphere because it's like almost like not that I become judgmental. Well, you're protecting yourself. Yeah, you're like self protecting rather than just like being. I, I would love to get to a state where I am vulnerable despite all the potential threats around me, like you know you might receive attacks or or negative energy from people but then rather than putting on a mask to deal with it you just accept it mm-hmm. and realize it's not about you it's like this person that's their problem right and then just not trying to like change you to fit in with that right well that's such the challenge is to make yourself vulnerable but not weak where you can be destroyed yeah exactly like to be strong and vulnerable at the same time or be vulnerable and then not have to change to fit in or yeah. put your walls up. Or, or put your walls up, yeah. Right. And so I've been tr- trying to do that uh, a lot more. And, you know, just if something upsets me now, I've tried to... Be- and it's build- building language around that and understanding how to, like, communicate with others that may be triggering you mm-hmm. uh, or just not getting in situations so much where that will come up. And when it does come up, just having, like, a methodology for dealing with it. And New York is great because it's just, like, this so many people around you so not only it's a good time to not just practice but right uh, yeah i always say new york is like living life and concentrate yeah like there's so much that happens in a day and there's so many times to notice your feelings exactly yeah because you're just faced with all kinds of people and all kinds of energies that it's it is a good workout it is. I can see how it's exhausting and I can see why exactly. after some time people want to leave. But then I can also see, and I've heard this, that when they do leave, they miss it because they just don't get that concentration of life mm-hmm. elsewhere, that full spectrum. And I, I think that's also what I've come to particularly enjoy is I, I had this idea in my head when I was younger that, you know, real peace comes from, you know, being in a simple environment um, and just focusing on like positive energies but as i've gotten older and and now because i lived in new york almost 10 years ago and i didn't like it and how I long left, did you live here for uh three months but i was planning to stay here but i and i and i made the move that's why i only say i never move here anymore i'm on holiday because i've gotten out <laughs> say you move <laughs> but it here, keeps pulling you back it keeps in pulling you back in but um I, i'm enjoying now both sides 
uh, of the the spectrum of emotions and energies. Like I've, I like that New York brings out a lot of negative energies in people and a lot of positive and that there is a certain like beauty to both of those and that it's like it is all part of being human and that we all have to struggle through these different range of emotions. Like we're fighting to get the positive emotions and the positive feelings, but you really have to come to terms and feel comfortable with the negative feelings you have here and like being okay around and building a language around talking with people and sharing about that. And I think that to me feels a lot more like you're building a solid base as a, as a human being than trying to feel peaceful in an environment where you're not being challenged in that way. Right. I, I kind of, I think I know what you're saying because I kind of juggle this myself of being like, well, maybe I could just live a life of kind of like a, a Zen monk. Right. Where I'm just happy and I'm blissful and I'm, maybe I meditate all day. And I just feel I live in a life of good energies and I feel good. Yeah. But then it's like, well, there's all this other stuff happening. There's all these people. There's stand-up comedy. There's music. There's all this great things to, there's all these great things to experience. But like you said, with that comes all these challenges and negative energies. And how do you find happiness in that? When like, why even bother when I was happy just not being a part of any of that? Yeah, I, I think that if hmm, what one idea I have about that is that if trying to find, you know, peace in a simple environment where you're not being challenged, it might be peace, but then there's a certain level of not delusion, but that you if if your thoughts and beliefs aren't being challenged and pushed, then you can kind of create this like this illusion that you have peace, but uh, that's just because it's like so simple that it's 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 not being fully expressed. I don't know if I really explained that. But so if you're well. feeling it, yeah, I mean that's what I was thinking. If you're feeling it, then I guess you have it. But then I mean, it just depends. Does that just eventually become boredom? I don't know. For me, I I think I would. I do. Be, I, I'm too interested in exploring self. Mm-hmm. You ever you ever meditate? Uh, I did. I did uh, not anymore, and I want to get back into it. I did. It was very. I because so that could be really therapeutic too. Yeah, I had a very traumatic experience with meditation. I, when I was twenty-two, I decided. Uh, <laughs> this sounds so stupid. I decided. Um, I was trying to think about what I wanted to do with my life. Yeah, and I decided that uh, enlightenment would be. Uh, would be. I mean, that was, seemed like the most useful way to spend your life i thought that would be like a great thing to do like yeah. i just decided mm-hmm. like i'd chosen a job and so i moved to new zealand and i lived alone uh and i meditated every day for a year for like six hours like I, all i did was meditation and then i read a lot of uh you know texts around meditation tried to like hack the meditation prog- process and i had a lot of like very Wait, you've tried to hack the meditation process like figure out a way where you can like get around it and not do it but get the benefits i think it's just like uh hack it in the sense that it's like uh, a lot of like meditative practices like in a, is is has a ceremony aspect mm. and uh, it, it's in tradition and a, a lot of that is you know you, you might think like okay this is i thought it was like outdated in some way but i real i now realize that it's important to meditate slowly and progressively because you need a period of integration so any kind of knowledge you gain takes time to integrate it but i was trying to do it so quickly that 
while I was like shedding a lot of like attachments and removing a lot of things that were positive, uh, it was happening too quickly that I couldn't kind of like keep up with the changes that were happening to my personality and it kind of almost made me what I thought was like mentally ill. I had very like unusual experience. I started hallucinating. Uh, in a meditation? No, just like in day to day, not not all day or anything, but just weird periods where I would just like almost like go into a trance uh, around certain people. Like I started seeing like people's... Like, and something that I've kept from that is I have this like really weird, like I can... I can sense intention, like like I can smell it on people. So it's like I, I have trouble listening to exactly what people will say. If if I can tell their intention and agenda is not what they're presenting, yeah, it's like so apparent to me. So you're kind of reading their aura or their energy. Whatever yeah, maybe it's like a body it. language thing as well, or yeah. just like feeling very sense. I feel like I'm very sensitive and vulnerable to this this type of thing, and I definitely got that from uh, when I was meditating. One of the one of the things that I was a sticking point for me is after a long period of time of doing the meditation, uh, I think it was about like uh, 10 months into that year, uh, I had trouble communicating with people and people would say things to me and I just felt this like apathetic um, feeling towards like, like why were they saying that and they didn't really understand what it meant and like and then I was thinking about the whole framework of these social constructs and it, it just, I, I just went back so many layers that I just language stopped becoming useful. My personality started to shift away. I, and then I got to a point where I scared myself where I thought, okay, uh, if I want to pursue this further, I need to leave my friends and family and just go live in a forest right. and really go for this. But I, people are a distraction at this point. It sounded like, sounds like you're getting somewhere because that is what happens when you meditate a lot. You kind of start to tune in to the key essence of humans where you do kind of get a better sense of people's energies, you become very susceptible to them. Yeah. And it could be it could be really difficult to block it out. Block it out, but then also... Or deal with it. And, and deal with it, and you want to be away. But then it's like, well, that's almost two things. One, moving away for it is you, you might learn a lot, you know, for yourself, but it's like, how then do you integrate that back into other people? Secondly... Uh, I didn't feel necessarily good. I, I felt uh, I felt very different. I felt alone. Mm. Uh, there was only a few people that I could connect with, and they were uh, people that also had done a lot of meditation. And there wasn't very many in. I was doing it all by myself, and but there was like one or two people that I would speak to um, that were at the that were at a university there. There were professors uh, in Buddhology. Oh wow. Um, and uh, would they be able to teachers. help you with this stuff? Yeah, some of them helped me with a few of the things I was stuck with. Yep. Uh, and, and and I found it was very very helpful. But I just couldn't set, uh, shed this sense of um, uh, just not just feeling lonely, but also I, I thought maybe there was like a twenty percent chance that I was delusional, and that I was so attached to the idea of enlightenment that uh, I wanted to be feeling like I was making this rapid progression. So I was almost like creating this narrative for myself where and i thought okay if that's the case then a drastic move of moving to the forest alone is so radical and i'm only 22 i haven't even tried to seek happiness in modern society so right. i said okay i'm going to go back i'm going to forget all of this and just try and live my life and in then the world. in my when i said 10 i said i said 10 years I would give myself and then if I decided that I haven't become happy in this world, I don't see a place for me, then I would I would re 
dip back into. Well, it sounds very extreme. It sounds like you're only giving attention to each extreme. Like yeah. maybe there's a happy medium there. No, no, you are 100% right. There is a happy medium. It's a delusional 22-year-old thing just to be like, I'm going to do become enlightened. <laughs> you haven't even been tortured by the civilization yet. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just so, so dramatic. Yeah. So idealistic. Yeah, and I imagine, uh, you know, as an older, with, more, with 10 more years on you, you would have a very different experience meditating too. Yeah, I, I re, I'm very much looking forward. And it's weird, like this year has been a huge uh, shift uh, towards more, not just like esoteric, but I just, I feel a lot more content with now. I feel like I've embraced a lot of like the darkness that I've developed over the last 10 years as I've kind of like fallen down in many ways. But now as I kind of entering my thirties, I think I'm very ready to embrace like in a more balanced way, not just a meditative practice, but also, you know, living in society and, 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 being connected to people and, and and having empathy for both the light and the dark side of myself and others, right. but with a much better language base and ability to communicate, but also then uh, bringing in more of a meditative practice where I can try and f- bring presence and to myself and others in social situations. Right. I mean, you said the key word is empathy. Yeah. And uh, that's tricky because when you do meditate a lot you do feel a very deeper deep sense of empathy and you could sense other people's energies and you feel them you're like much more vulnerable to them and there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of struggle and there's a lot of darkness and there's a lot of antagonism in this world but especially here in new york where there's life and concentrate like you can't feel you can't be a, like an openly empathetic person and walk down Sixth Avenue. Oh, I because I had a hard time here with that. Right, because there's people that are in wheelchairs and they pe- peed themselves and they're asking for money and you, you, there's just so much stuff that would be you'd be affected by. I, I, I literally had a last week. I just had so many run-ins where I just like didn't sometimes I didn't know what to do. But I like found this homeless man like passed out on the stairs the subway stairs but like head down and people were just like walking over him and i just thought there's no way like i could just maybe i could just get him off the stairs and then so i like, try to wake him i was like oh hey man i'm gonna move you and he goes no no i'm fine and i was like you're not fine mm-hmm. and so i was like do you mind if i pick you up i'm just gonna put you in the corner over there so that people don't step over you because they can't see you and they might you might hurt you and he was like yeah yeah and i picked him up under his arms and everyone's just looking at me like what the hell are you doing who is this tourist who's this idiot that's like <laughs> you don't engage with it because this is a never-ending battle like you're gonna lose and then uh and then he didn't want to get put down so i was just like holding him under his arms it was very weird and then i felt like the weird but i felt this weird like i never felt such like an outsider i was like i'm trying to help someone now and not only does he think it's weird but everyone around me thinks it's strange right but then if you zoom out from that you're like, wait, no, I'm the normal one because there's Maybe. someone here that's suffering and you're helping them. Yeah, but then like, I, I guess from their perspective, it's like, it's so present here that it's like, you know, you've, you've got like, how do you even choose who you're helping, you know? Right, because you could be doing that all day. Yeah, I get into way too many situations like that. I had, to, I've had, a, it keeps happening to me where I'm just like, I feel like someone needs help in that in that moment and I try and be involved because I'm like, oh, I'm there, it won't take much, but Sometimes it just it, it just escalates into like a, it makes it almost not, not almost worse, but you just you're right. Like this 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 chapter will just unfold if you 
yeah. engage. Yeah. My first, when I first moved here, this is like so innocent. There was a woman with a baby carriage yeah. uh, walking up the subway stairs. She got out of the subway. She's like, oh, will you help me with my baby carriage up the stairs? So I grabbed the other end and we're walking up the stairs and we get to the top. And I put the carriage down and she looks in the baby carriage and her baby's not there. And I never even saw the baby because there's all just a bunch of blankets. And she starts screaming, where's my baby? And I'm just standing there like, oh, my God, everyone's staring at me like I did something to her baby. And I'm just like, I I don't know. And I just like kind of put my hands up and start to walk away like, whoa, I don't know what she had in mind or if her baby just like. The thing un, un, like unreclined and the baby were the blankets were covering the baby or if she was a crazy person i mean i felt weight there was definitely a baby in there but i didn't do anything to that's, this. Just, that's so crazy it was so crazy and it was so traumatic i was like oh my god like i'm not gonna stand here and like deal with this i'm just gonna walk away because i know i didn't do anything wrong and then i had this feeling of like i'm not gonna help anyone anymore yeah yeah and i don't want to feel like that either i want to help people i have that instinct but new york does do that to you where you're like i, I want to help that person but i can't yeah maybe maybe if like everyone just like okay you help one person in the street once a week like it's like you just need that quota right maybe a happy medium of like helping some medium. people i feel like there's enough people here there you could just like you just give a, but i i think people also do like i do see it from time to time like you can see like someone's just like oh no man i'll give you a hand and like they reach out and you know if they feel it but it's, it's just it's hard as well because it's like you know you see it on the subways where uh i haven't seen it so much i used to see it 10 years ago when i was here and maybe it happens more in peak hour which i, I don't get on the subways then of uh, people begging on their carriages where they they say excuse me everyone um you know and they give their their story and yeah. they ask for change and i remember years ago when i was here i just started like rating them based on like how good their speech was and like what kind of injuries they were having and, like sometimes you like don't even believe like they're like they're so well spoken and it's like you're like that is a brilliant sales pitch yeah you know they've got like a bandage over there like it, it, it sounds r- horrible but yeah. there was such a variety of them that you you did notice that some of them you're like oh that really pulls on all the heartstrings so you're like grading them on a yeah you're like oh that one definitely deserves that guy definitely deserves money do or, you give them a comment card when you yeah. leave the subway <laughs> that's right five stars a for review. performance <laughs> three stars for story could have done better but I watched them because I thought okay I watched this this a couple of them make you know I was trying to count he made like thirty to forty US on one uh, carriage yeah and then he just got on the next carriage and I was like okay that guy just made forty dollars in two minutes yep there's like 20 carriages it's like i mean there's about 60 minutes in an hour yeah i mean i don't even want to do the math on that but it's like <laughs> that guy's making a lot of money yeah exactly so I, I and then in my mind i was like okay there's definitely like a circuit of begging that if you're very good at it you can make like a substantial living in new york and i'm not saying that 99 percent of the people in that and doesn't it make category, you feel gross to even think that then I was like, these guys must, they must be like actors, like the out of word actors that just like, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe. Well, especially when you see the same person giving the same spiel. Yeah. It's like, oh, I just missed my bus and I need my bus to get back home. I got to go feed my daughter. You're like, you just missed your bus yesterday and the day before and the day before that. Yeah. You know, you start to see the same people and you know it's their spiel. I had one. So the other, this is last week on Wednesday. I was getting home at, uh, I was at the Grizzly Pair and I was coming home at like 2 a.m. And on the train, there was uh, an old Chinese man and he was saying something to me and he spoke no English, but he was saying like, saying like, Atlanta, Atlanta, 
Atlanta, Atlanta. And I was like, what? And I was like, are you saying Atlantic? And he goes, yes, Atlantic. And, I, and then I kind of understood that he wanted to go to Atlantic Avenue, but the train didn't go to Atlantic Avenue. Right. It went like nearby. Yeah. And so I was trying to explain to him, oh, you, it's not there, but he spoke so little English. And I was trying to point on a map and on Google Maps. I was like, you have to get off here and then walk. And it's like a, it's like a seven minute walk. It's actually quite close. And he, he didn't understand. And he's like, this is Atlantic. And I was like, no. And then I've been lost on the subway so many times being here. I was like, yeah. this guy has no phone doesn't speak any English and doesn't read English, he is going to get, he's not going to make it. Like he can't even communicate with me and I'm trying to help him with a map in front of him. So I was like, I'll get off, come off this station and I'll walk you to Atlantic Avenue. Did you walk him? I got him off the thing and and he's like Atlantic and I was like, not Atlantic. And then he started panicking because he was like, oh, we're in the wrong place. But I was like, no, no, I'm going to try and, I was like trying to show like, walking like playing charades with him yeah i was doing like charades (laughs) and then i and then i was like come with me and then i i got this feeling from him that he thought i was going to try and like steal from him or rob him or something or sell him into slavery he just didn't trust me and i was like no no, please come and then he did and we started walking and it was very hesitant and it and it was only a seven minute walk i think it was from lafayette uh in uh in brooklyn uh prospect heights area near to atlantic avenue but it was started raining and I was like, I've pulled this guy into the rain and like, he doesn't trust me. And now you're responsible for this guy. And then I was trying to find out and he spoke Mandarin, I gathered. So I called one of my friends who I know speaks Mandarin and mm-hmm. I put her on the phone and she was like, he started just like yelling at her in Mandarin and I was like, okay, cool. Then he seemed kind of happy and, and, and he was like, okay, good, good. And I was like, okay, great. You, you're all good. And I spoke to my friend and she's like, I have no idea what he said. Uh, he's just he's just speaking nonsense so he's just a crazy person he's just a, it was just a crazy old Chinese guy but I ended up getting to Atlantic Avenue and he was like so happy uh, and then I was like oh, what am I doing like just getting involved in these people's lives I don't even know if I'm like how does he I didn't even know where he was going like I was trying to find out if he wanted to go Right, and it could have been some like weird OCD mental defect where he thought he had to go to Atlantic Avenue, but he has nothing <laughs> he's to do with it. He's going to Atlantic <laughs> he's Avenue. He's just like, I made it to Atlantic Avenue. Then he's going to have some other meltdown about having to get to. <laughs> has to go back to like um, just constantly back and forth forever. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, you helped a crazy person get to his next uh, crazy destination. Hey, you know what? We've all got crazy goals, whatever. You know, like who am I to judge? <laughs> True. I know. You've, I start to feel kind of uh, jaded and cynical even talking about people like that about what uh, like oh it's just another crazy person you know it's just like but that's what the city does to you i mean yeah i just you know i look at these people i'm like you know that's a person that came here with a dream as well that's it that's why i feel like maybe that was his dream to get to atlantic avenue like i've done it's taken me 30 years (laughs) you did it (laughs) so are you trying to incorporate meditation back into your life to be healthy or sticking with therapy or both uh, Are you going to yeah. go back to Australia, changed man? Uh, s- sadly, I think y- yes. I, I. Why sadly? Well, <laughs> your friend's going to. I don't know if they'll like it. Really? They're too positive. Oh yeah. And do they prefer a negative person? Is that the... maybe that's just who I? I've, I think I became a little bit more in the public sphere of. Uh, just I was just very like focused on just comedy, and now I've started to realize that it's like it's the full spectrum uh that that 
Uh, I mean, no, you know, when you get, I mean, you must have this, you get so focused on like one thing, mm -hmm. the rest of your life just falls apart around you, including, you know, things about you that keep you healthy, both physically and mentally. Yeah. I've just let those slip for six years and now I'm getting the bad patterns like you're talking about. So who knows? I might completely go off the wagon or on the wagon. I've never known which one's the wagon. Is it good to be on or off? But <laughs> it depends where it's going, really. <laughs> I guess, yeah, it's, you know, it's not stationary at the moment. Uh, but yeah, I, I would like to incorporate, I think meditate, I've been doing yoga and I've started rock climbing again, which for me is like a very meditative practice. Mm. Um, you know, just getting physically fit, mentally healthy. And then also then I keep saying this, but like building a solid base and language around supporting that so that if it do, if I do go off the rails again in any way that I can help guide myself back and have a support support structure of people around me and knowing how to reach out for help when, mm -hmm. when I need help uh, and just understanding the patterns that come about from being in certain environments like for example being in bars for comedy can trigger like drinking you know like yep. it's, it's a hard thing to avoid but I've been around it long enough that it's like not as much of a problem now um, you can have a beer and not go crazy and have 12 uh, yeah exactly yeah yeah I've noticed uh, a lot of comedians don't drink have you noticed that uh, I've noticed that Here a lot of York, comedians on stage go up and go, I'm an alcoholic. That's been something I've right, seen a exactly. lot. Yeah. Sober. But uh, is, that, is that the case? You've, you, you, think, you don't think they drink? Yeah, I've noticed that here in New York, a lot of uh, comedians don't drink. Surprisingly more than I was expecting. I guess is it also like a financial thing? Yeah. Well, because if you're in bars all the time, then it's very expensive. And if you drink, you know, once you have one, it's really hard to not have another. You know, you kind of grease the wheels. Yeah. So once you put the grease in, it just gets to become a very slippery slope. Do you think the culture of drinking has declined? In you've been here for eight years. Yeah. Have you have you noticed the culture of drinking has declined in the last eight years in New York? Yeah, I feel like generally, generationally, the culture of uh, self destruction has declined in general. Yeah. Like it used to be, like Keith Richards was the rock star. You know, now it's like. I don't know, Kanye West or Jay-Z, where you become, you start a business, then you start another business. Yeah. And like, that's the archetype now of a successful musician. It's yeah. just so opposite. Yeah, totally. You know, like to be a badass is like, yeah, now I start several businesses. I'm an entrepreneur and I release albums and I do this. And it's just, you know. Yeah. I, you're, I, you're not I, shooting heroin in your eyelids anymore. No, this is, I mean, but there is always still room for these kind of people. Um, <laughs> maybe they'll come back. Yeah, maybe. I think there's, yeah, it's always exciting. People that have no regard for their own safety yet somehow against all odds survive and prosper. Yeah, I mean, Keith Richards might outlive Jay-Z. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's amazing. So what's next for you? Uh, what's next? Well, I mean, everything I've been talking about, I'm trying to explore further. Yeah, it sounds. I feel like we caught you on an interesting time. Like I feel like you're in the middle of something. I feel like you can come back and have so much. There's like it's almost like we're gonna leave this podcast on a continuation, like a to be continued. Yeah, yeah. This is this is a good way of putting it. I like that you said that. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. 
Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It feels like that. It feels like it's very tumultuous time. I, I feel like I'm going through rapid transition about rediscovering a lot of things that I've blocked from my past. Uh, so they're coming back rapidly and I, I just feel a lot of huge shifts that uh, just rediscovering the old and then trying to embrace certain new things that I, I didn't know. I, I'm trying to see things differently. So I, I don't know what's next. I, I would I would love to imbue my performance and writing with a lot of these new things. I think I want to reimagine the way that I perform. So I'm really enjoying trying to starting trying to start again. Mm-hmm. Uh not necessarily just in comedy, but in just the way that I uh, approach life, but also in performance. Right. And uh I, I think also I would I'd love to start imbuing stand like my my stand up, which I haven't been in the past, trying to move it more towards talking about emotions. I, I, I feel some of the, my one of my favorite comedians is Daniel Kitson. Are you familiar with him? Uh, no, I'm not actually. Uh, he's he's a bit hard to look up. He doesn't really have anything online, but he's one of the most respected comedians in the UK. Mm-hmm. And a lot of he of his he won he's won the Edinburgh Fringe Award for best comedy, and uh, he does a lot of comedy on emotions. And it, uh, I, I guess like Louis does that as well. And there's a lot a lot of fantastic acts that do. Yeah. But I would love to move more in a direction of uh, speaking about you know like very emotive topics that that I struggle with as being as a human being which I've always been scared about talking on stage and I think a lot of people especially when they're drunk they don't really want to hear about it and right. just finding a way to make that work and, and not that, that I think that would be important but I think in a way I would feel it's more relevant for me to do that and almost like that's the kind of work that I want to be doing where it's like it's funny but it's also funny in a in a very interesting way that plays to what I'm trying to do off stage, which is like really observe and analyze and be open mm-hmm. to this process. Yeah, it makes sense. It also sounds like difference of a comedian in the, comedian in their 20s and a comedian in their 30s. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it's so cliche. I'm just riding that wagon. No, but also, uh, you know, all the all these changes you're going through might feel like struggle, but it's also the gasoline that's needed for the fire. Possibly, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we need to experience all of the stuff to bring it into our comedy or, or our art form, whatever that may be. Yeah, sadly, I, I, I mean, no, I keep saying sadly, but I do feel like that's the other benefit of being in New York. Like, it just inspires you to for your art, be, whatever you do, because it is just so hard that, you know, you really get to look at all these, like, all the ebb and flow of your light and dark side just coming out and constantly being challenged that you have so much content to write around so it's a it's a perfect city to reflect 
your ideas towards life and yourself. You just, mm-hmm. you're constantly being pushed and things are coming out of you that you can just grab and, you know, then show to an audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and great place to just observe. And just to observe, yeah, totally. I'll yeah. do this thing sometime on the subway where I'll just look at a person and I'll just make up a whole life for them. I'll make up a story, I'll give them a name, I'll give them a family, I'll give them a home, and I just make up a whole world for them. And oh, that's, that's brilliant. That's my subway ride. <laughs> oh, that's how you do the subway. But one of the ways, or you just stick, dive your head into your phone and ignore the world. All right. I've just been like riding on the subway, but then kind of freaking out that the person next to me is like reading what I'm writing. Mm. It must seem so insane. Um, and then writing about other people on the subway. Maybe I kind of do what you do. I'm like, who is this guy over here? Mm-hmm. What is he doing? Well, the good thing about New York is that even if the person is looking at what you're writing, they don't care. <laughs> That's what I've also loved here is that people just don't give a shit. They don't care. Like, it sucks that they don't care about other people, but it's also just like so refreshing to just feel like, because you feel so irrelevant. It's like, it's kind of like you f- you don't feel, I don't feel overcrowded here because you're not being pressured by the outside world. You just, as long as you can kind of move through it, yeah. no one's going to get in your way. Yeah. I mean, even if you're the guy lying on the subways upside down on the subway stairs, people are just going to walk over you and around you. He knows. He knows. <laughs> he's like, I won't be disturbed for the mm-hmm. next eight hours. Maybe he's super zen out. He's like, I could sleep anywhere. Yeah, I can sleep on this. He's like, sleeping on a bed is so 2000s. Sleeping on stairs upside down, that's how you really sleep. That's how you progress as a sleeper. He's the enlightened one. He's all right. That's the, that's the, that, those stairs is the New York of beds. I've got Australians carrying me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, Sam. Thanks for uh, talking to me. Oh, I loved it. Thank you very much. to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.